0: You are now listening to the Base Shore Community Church podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Uh, Worship team do an amazing job today. That was so good. What a great worship set. That was so good. I was so blessed by that and uh, just really, really good to be together today. I wanna to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus and everybody there, Nick and Judy Chumbras and Brad and June King, everybody there, we love you guys. Let's give our Femic Island campus a big hand. So glad that you're with us right now. And right now we have services at Rehoboth as well at our Rehoboth campus. So we're just so grateful what the Lord's doing through Bayshore. And if you are on the online campus today, thank you for listening, wherever you're listening from. Uh, the best way to experience Bayshore is be here. But you guys that are online, your are different places, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, if you would, just give our online campus a big hand. Thank you guys for listening today and being a part of today's service. Well, we're in a series called Crazy Church People, and we've been looking at the Book of First Corinthians. So, in uh, our summer plan this year, we're going to be kind of like settling down and looking through a book of the Bible. So, we've been studying First Corinthians and moving through this book. And uh, there's lots of good things in the book. We call it Crazy Church People because it is a church uh, that had a lot of problems, and they were messed up people. So, they're our kind of people. They had issues, and they had all kinds of things, and so. We're going to be looking at some of the struggles that they had in the church. Now, uh, there was a, a family in the church uh, that went and told Paul what was going on. Uh, they were Chloe's household. We found it, find out about that in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so Chloe told Paul all the stuff was happening in the church, but there was also rumors about the things that were happening in the church. And today we're going to read a really sticky passage where there's just some really, really crazy stuff going on in the church. And um, one of the problems with the Church of Corinth is the Church of Corinth was in a very very promiscuous town. It was a, a, a port city, and there were lots of sailors that came in there, a lot of business people. And I was at Corinth a number of years ago and uh, got to tour Corinth. And one of the things about Corinth is there is uh, on the top of the, uh, the hill in the city, which is called the Acropolis, the hill there uh, had a temple to Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. So when you think about Paul writing to this church, he's writing to a church that is in a city that is ruled over uh, by a, a female goddess named Aphrodite. And Aphrodite Was the goddess of love. And, you know, people didn't tithe to Aphrodite, to that church. What they did was there were prostitutes that lived in the temple, and then every night those prostitutes would come down into the town and they would uh, promote business among the businessmen. And so, in fact, Paul talks in this book about, you know, you shouldn't take your body, the body of Christ, and be united to a prostitute. So, prostitution. Uh, and sexual immorality was a big deal in this city. It was, it was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. And there were little bumper stickers that went on the back of donkeys and said, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know? <laughs> it was a really, really wild city. And lots of brothels, lots of sexual immorality, and the idea in the ancient world about sex was really kind of uh, different. Uh, In fact, they had this view of sex that was like, anything goes, and so they didn't look at, uh, and and just remember this, the the guys that, uh, and the people that were saved in the city of Corinth had no, no Christian background at all. They were pagans. They weren't raised in Christian homes. They didn't have uh, Old Testament classes when they were growing up. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They lived in a Greek world that basically said that sexual desires were uh, just natural. And so you just acted on whatever desires you had. It was like if you were thirsty, you got a glass of water. And if you had a sexual desire in the ancient world, you just... Fulfill your desire through a prostitute or whatever way you wanted to. There was a famous uh, philosopher, Demosthenes, a Greek philosopher that wrote this about the sexual mores of the ancient world, the world that Paul preached in. Here's what he said, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our household. So basically, we have wives that will raise our children, but then we have mistresses to satisfy our sexual pleasures, and then we have concubines for our daily sexual needs. So this is the world that Paul is preaching to. And in fact, every church that Paul planted in Greece had this, uh, this, this they didn't have any moral values about sexuality, and so Paul is dealing with that in this, in this chapter and getting into it. So if you read the first uh, seven chapters of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find a lot of stuff about sexual immorality because the context in which he was writing to were people that just didn't see anything wrong with sexual morality, And uh, sex was just like getting a glass of water. So that gives you a little background. So he writes to them. And uh, he confronts some things that's going on. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, let me read it and then we'll kind of work our way through it. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now the word sexual immorality is pornea, pornea. Now that sounds like what? It sounds like pornography. Pornea is the word for just a blanket word that covers all sexual immorality, pornea Uh, It is actually afforded among you that there's pornea, pornography, sexual immorality among you and of the kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present." When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch with yeast as, uh, with, without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, in that case you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or slanderer, a drunker, or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge, the, to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside God will judge those outside, expel the wicked man from among you. So he says, you know, the context is a uh, terribly sexually immoral city, but now this is something happening that is even shocking to this city. There's a man in the church, a man in the church. Now, we don't know if he's a, a patron, a richer man. Uh, maybe he's a leader in the church, but he's... Uh, cohabitating, living with his father's wife. Now, this is his stepmother, we believe, his stepmother. Now, we don't know if his dad's dead. We don't know if his dad married a younger woman. Uh, None of that is given to us. But we just know that this man is sleeping with his father's wife, and that's going to make Thanksgiving dinner really weird. And there's a really big problem here. And Paul says, he says, you know, this is so bizarre that it, it, it doesn't even happen in, in the, as secular and as uh, cr- messed up as our culture is. This is so far out there. And we know from the writings of Cicero and other people uh, that wrote about that even this, this type of uh, in-family cohabitation was even considered weird by the Romans. And so Paul addresses this. And he's, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians about their attitude about this, and they're proud about it. Now, we don't know if that means that, you know, they're like, uh, hey, we got grace. We got grace. We've been forgiven. God is a God of grace. Maybe they took Paul's message of grace. We know that Paul preached grace, and he preached it powerfully. Maybe they took his message of grace to think that, That if we are covered in grace, we're not in bondage to rules. We're not in bondage to some of this Old Testament stuff that Paul was trying to teach us. It doesn't apply to us because we are people of grace. That's called antinomianism. If you want to know the fancy word for that, antinomianism is an idea that... No rules, no law applies. We're under grace and we're completely free. But remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. He said, Shall we continue in sin? This is Romans 6, 1, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. And so they're not shocked, they're proud, they're happy. They're like, this is okay, we're liberated, we're free. Hey, listen, we're not hung up. We don't have, we don't have these old-fashioned sexual hang-ups. We just, you know, it's okay any, whatever anybody wants to do. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like our culture? We are incredibly proud of how progressive we are And we feel like, you know, listen, we are liberated. We don't have old-fashioned hang-ups that our parents had our grandparents had. We're not shocked by anything. We are people of tolerance. And the more uh, progressive, the more mature, the more intellectual you are, the more sophisticated you are, the less judgmental you're supposed to be in our culture. But Paul said to them, he said, you should be mourning. This is weird. This is wrong. How many know that some things are weird and some things are wrong and it's not a good idea to rubber stamp everything and say everything, oh, that's okay, it's fine. Paul said you should be shocked. And how many know we need to learn how to blush again as Americans can just say a big Amen. And it's, it's like rapidly changing in our culture, rapidly changing that if you're going to be a, a sophisticated, a good American, a good citizen, you're going to be somebody that says, that's okay, we're okay, whatever. They're consenting adults, whatever they want to do. And I just feel like that um, this is what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with that attitude that we're just covered in grace. Everything's okay. Okay. Everything is not okay. Paul said, uh, you know, listen, we've been the sacrifice, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us now, he's using an allusion to Exodus 15 where, you know, where the sacrificed lamb in Egypt, was the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And what happened immediately after that? They put the leaven out of their houses for seven days. There was no leaven in the bread, which represented after a person comes to Christ, they accept Christ, that the next stage is they get rid of all the leaven in their life, all the sin in their life. They get rid of those things that are pretentious and those things that are sinful. And so he uses the Old Testament picture of the Feast of Unleavened Bread to signify that after we accept Christ, out of our life should come a spirit of getting rid of those things that are inappropriate. So he says, you know, there's a man that has his father's wife and you're proud. You're cool with it. And, and a lot of commentators say, you know, the biggest sin in this, in this chapter is not the cohabitation, which is wrong. The biggest sin is is the attitude of the Corinthians toward the issue. And so I, I just want to encourage you that there's nothing wrong with us saying, you know, that's wrong. That's wrong. And you don't have to be mean, you don't have to yell, the veins don't have to pop out on your neck, you don't have to throw anything at anybody, you just have to say, listen, I'm sorry to say, that is wrong. I love, and I've told you a bunch of times, I love the Hans Christian Anderson story, The Emperor's uh, New Clothes. I love that story. That story is absolutely incredible. You know, about the the, the seamstresses that came into the city for the king, the king loved all these fancy clothes, and, and so the seamstresses came in and they said that they could could make some clothes that would look invisible to anybody that was a foolish or ignorant person. And so the king bought into it, and they made these pretend clothes on these, uh, on these, uh, uh, these, these, these uh, clothes manufacturing things. And the, the king, they helped him put on these clothes that didn't exist, and everybody's going along with it. Everybody's going along with it because, hey, listen, if I don't go along with this, I'm foolish or I'm ignorant. And finally, a little boy said, I don't see it. I don't see it. The man is buck naked. (laughs) Today, that boy would be intolerant. He would be blacklisted because he was a fool for saying what is absolutely true. We need people that are willing to stand up and say, that is absolutely crazy. So that's what's going on. The Corinthians are proud and they think it's okay. And there's such a great parallel to us. It says a man has his father's wife and Leviticus uh, Leviticus 18 lists all the different people you're not supposed to have sex with. And one of those is your father's wife. And uh, not that it had to be listed, but, you know, just so we missed it, we put it in there that, the, you know, Moses put it in there. But here's another point here. The man has, the word has there is important because that's in the present tense. Present tense in Greek means it's something that's ongoing. If it was the aorist tense, that would mean that he had, maybe had an affair, they got drunk, had one little fling. But this is in the present tense, which means they're continuing to cohabitate, they're continuing to live together. There's a difference between messing up and deciding to live in disobedience. There's a difference between messing up making a mistake stumbling falling and getting back up and getting back on the path then somebody just decides listen I'm gonna I'm gonna I know what's right I know what the Bible says I know what the Holy Spirit's been convicting me of I know what I'm supposed to do and so I'm just going to disregard the Holy Spirit I'm going to disregard the Bible and I'm going to decide to do what is wrong there's an incredibly difference between that now, I'm talking to people today uh, that's messed up. You've messed up sometime. How many have messed up? You just did it. You did the wrong thing sometimes. You just did it. And, and, you know, you just messed up. And there's a great scene in the movie Chariots of Fire where Eric Little, the runner in the 1924 Paris Olympics, I mentioned him, mentioned this movie a couple weeks ago, and there's a great scene in the movie where he's running a race and he gets knocked down around the first corner. And when he gets knocked down, he, he, he gets up and he focuses and he, and he finishes the race. And not only does he finish the race, he wins the race. And so when you've, you've messed up and you've stumbled and you've sinned, maybe sexually, maybe, uh, maybe you've lost your temper, maybe you've done something immoral. Uh, you know, the church needs to be real about that. We are real people. You know, there's nobody here wearing a halo. We're just regular people that live in the real world, and we, we are prone to temptation just as much as anybody else, and we sometimes uh, stumble, and the thing about being, when you mess up, is that you decide, and you ask the Lord to forgive you, and you get back up, and you remember the movie Rocky, you know Rocky, there's a bunch of Rocky movies, and You know, there was like fifty of them, you know, it was just like and the only good one was the first one. You know what I mean? The first one. I remember watching the first Rocky movie in Leighton Theater in Seaford, Delaware in high school. That's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat, you know. And I'm like, I had a date with me, I didn't know who she was. I was like, I was into that movie. I mean, I'm like standing up at the end, you know. I was like, Punching Apollo Creed myself, but you remember the scene in the movie where where he's like his face is just uh, just swollen and he's been beat to death and his eyes are swollen and he's sitting on that little stool and he says to Mickey, "This is my favorite part of the movie, cut me, cut me." And his eyes are swollen. They cut his eye. How many remember that scene? How many just that just freaks you out? But it's just a wonderful scene. They cut him and he gets up and then he he stands up and he says to Apollo Creed, "Come on, come on." And man, I'm telling you what, at that point, I'm like, I'm on my seat, buddy. (laughs) And that's how we deal with sin. Maybe you got knocked down. Maybe you got your face bludgeoned in. Maybe you've made some mistakes. But here's what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It says in the book of Isaiah, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Whoever renounces and for, uh, confesses and renounces his sins, the book of Proverbs says, will be forgiven. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins when you mess up. And if you messed up, I want you to know that God will forgive you of your sins. And his Holy Spirit will help you to overcome those things that you're dealing with. And maybe you've fallen five times. Maybe you've fallen ten times. So the Lord is with you. Can you say a big amen? When I was in Bible college, there was a, uh, one year we went back to, it was fall, it was the first uh, chapel of the fall season, and uh, we all went to chapel. And I remember the guy that spoke that day, he was the college administrator, not usually a speaker, he wasn't a, a great speaker or anything, but he happened to have the first chapel. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, we're all coming back from the summer, and kids had gone home for college and they were doing different things and he said some of you've really messed up this summer. Some of you really messed up this summer. He walked riding down the road and you got a double yellow line and you're riding down the road and as you're riding down the road, sometimes your car drifts across the yellow line. And what do you do when you drift across the yellow line? You don't go all the way to the other side and pretend you're in England. He said what you do is you pull it back in. When you go off the yellow line, over the yellow line, you pull it back in. And that's what it means to follow the Lord. And sometimes it's important that if you've got a negative pattern in your life, something that's a negative pattern in your life that's given you a hard time, one of the things that you need to do is that sometimes you need to confess that to another person, confess your sin to another person. If you have a, a recurrent pattern in your life that just continues to plague you. Maybe you continually get angry or you continually deal with some uh, inconsistency in your life. It's very important sometimes to confess that to another person. The Bible says in the book of James, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. How many know that's not a Catholic thing? That's a New Testament thing. I remember when I was in Bible college, just to be a uh, frank and candid with you I had a negative pattern in my life and I remember one I asked the Lord to forgive me and asked the Lord to help me and uh, man I just like to do well and then the enemy would just punch me in the face and I remember one night uh, after home group meeting a guy named Bob Lewis led our home group meeting Karen and I were there and uh, had a good home group meeting and on the way home I was just thinking about this negative pattern in my life this negative pattern. So when I took Karen home, I said, hey, I want to go back to talk to Bob, our our home group leader. So I went back to talk to, uh, to Bob Lewis. I knocked on the door. He opened the door. I said, Bob, can I talk to you? And then I told Bob, step by step, detail by detail, the negative pattern in my life. And there was something powerful that happened at that moment. Because when you confess your sin to another person, a negative pattern, the Lord gives incredible grace to you. It says he resists the proud. Pride pride wants you to hide your sin. Humility wants you to expose your sin. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace. Grace is ability. He gives grace to the humble. So as I confess that sin to to, to the Lord, It's much easier to confess it to the Lord than Bob. But when I confess the sin to Bob, the Lord did something deep in my life. I want you to just say this with me. Sin thrives thrives. in secrecy. Say it again. Sin Sin thrives in secrecy. Its power is broken when it's exposed to the light. So that's an important principle. Remember the story of the man with the uh, withered hand in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4. And uh, this guy had a withered hand. And I just suppose that he had two, two hands, obviously, and one of his hands was good. But then he had an ugly withered hand. And what I think he did was that he probably kept that withered hand tucked in his robe. He didn't want anybody to see that hand. And he's at the synagogue one day, and Jesus is ministering and the, it says the presence of the Lord was there to heal the sick. And Jesus had the man stand up. It says in the Gospel Mark, in front of them all. In front of them all. And he said, stretch forth your hand. And the thing that he'd been shamed of, the thing that he was struggling with, the thing that he hid from other people, he extended toward Jesus and his hand was made whole. So sometimes we have to extend that part of our life that's weak that we can get help happens in 12 step programs all the time people instead of projecting what the good parts of them they are willing to confess and share the bad parts of them so that's an important important principle so i want to um just got a few minutes left here there's another thing in this story that's really interesting you know the lord wanted wanted the church there, Paul confronted them, the church to deal with the problem, to deal with the problem and to confront this. And this is where I think the story gets sticky for us. Um, and, and, and what Paul was saying is like, you're going on like everything's cool, everything's normal. But this is not normal. This is wrong. There's something wrong here. And this should not be in the church. This should not be in the church. And it's not like the guy messed up. It's like the guy decidedly disobeying the Lord and he's going to do whatever he wants to. I'm going to do this. It's, it's a blatant attitude toward this issue. And again, it's not a guy struggling, not struggling, coming to Paul and ask the Lord to help him. He's not at the altar seeking the Lord. He's just like, this is what I'm going to do. And you need to deal with it. This week... I was, uh, Karen was away on vacation with her sister. So she had a great time on vacation. I was a bachelor at home and she left me all this food. I had a great week and just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, so I'm at the, in the kitchen one day. You know, of course, the, the, uh, it was like Wednesday and the, the dishes are piling up because she's not coming home until Saturday. So they're like just piling up. We have a dishwasher somewhere. I've seen it one time, but I don't know where it is. But we got this thing, the dishes are piling up. And, and I walked in the kitchen one day and I saw something moving on the floor. I thought, what the world? I looked down there, and there was a, one of those blue racer lizards that got in our house. I don't know how it was in our house, but it was trying to you know, go on the, the floor, and I guess it was waxy, this lizard. I was like, what in the world? I've lived in this house for 18 years, never seen a lizard in the house. And I'm like, what in the world? Karen would freak out if she knew this lizard was in there. So, um, you know, I saw this lizard, and so I got a Tupperware thing. I'm trying to catch this lizard and, you know, lizards, they can like go under anything. So I put the tupper—I think he's got out. So I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I didn't want to say I was scared of the lizard, but I didn't want to touch the lizard directly. Um, I mean, I am a man, but I didn't want to touch the lizard directly. I couldn't figure out how to catch a lizard. So what I did was I got a, uh, I got a dish towel. His brain, I got a great, great brain. I had the dish towel. I'd get a dish towel, fold it up a couple nights, threw it on top of the lizard. And got a hold of that lizard and threw it outside, and uh, peace prevailed. Peace prevails, great. Paul is saying to them, You got something in the church that's not supposed to be there, and you need to deal with it. You need to address it. And, and that's, the, that's where uh, he says to them, Listen, this guy that's doing this thing. You need to know that you need to confront this and deal with it. And because he's blatant about it, he can't, we just can't go on like everything is normal and that everything's okay. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see. We want to make people comfortable in what they're doing. And as long as you're comfortable in what you're doing, you're never going to change what you're doing if you're comfortable where you are you're never going to go where you need to go and that's our world our world is we want everybody to be comfortable we don't want anybody being be uncomfortable whatever they're doing we want you to be comfortable but I'm just saying to you that maybe that the calling that we have is not always to make people comfortable, but maybe sometimes we are called by God to love people, but let them not be comfortable because what they're doing is not something they should be doing. And if they're comfortable where they are and we keep making them comfortable where they are, they're never going to leave where they are and go where they need to go. So that's the principle in the story. And Paul says, you know, don't have this guy over to dinner with his stepmother don't, like, you know, have it, you don't sit beside him in church and put your arm around him. He said, like, this guy needs to be out of the church until he gets his self straightened up. How many remember in school where one used to go, when the, what, did you ever, did you go to school when they used to put you in the corner, corner? Does anybody remember that? How many remember being in the corner? How many were ever in the corner? I'm telling you, you know, I don't think they can do that anymore because it would ruin kids for their life. I mean, they're, you know. Mess them up bad. You put them in the corner, they are going to be messed up. But when I was in school, they put you in the corner if you messed up. You're in the whole class. You're sitting there with everybody, and then you won't quit talking, and you're pulling the girl's hair in front of you. And the teacher says, you're going in the corner, and you're separated from everybody, and you're in the corner until you get your attitude straight, and then you can get back in with the group. And I remember when I was in elementary school, there was one kid, when he came in the morning, he just went right to the corner. You know, he was... (laughs) He was always in the corner. And when I was in the corner a few times, it's extremely uncomfortable being in the corner. And while you're in the corner and you're uncomfortable and you're separate from everybody, it makes you think that I need to change my attitude. I change my life. And Paul was saying, listen, he's saying, put the boy in the corner. Make him uncomfortable until he repents of his sins. And that is a really, really tough principle. In our church today, the modern church, uh, church discipline is virtually uh, non-existent. No, no church discipline. And the reason is because our churches are bigger. And, uh, you know, if you discipline anybody, it's not a problem. They just go down to the next, next church down the road. And we're not networked, and people can just kind of do what they want to do. But in this world that Paul created, the churches that Paul created, there was one church. There was nowhere else to go. If they kicked him out of the church in Corinth, there was, another, there was no other church. It, there was one church unified, and they were unified in the discipline of this man. One other thing about this, this passage is, is this is very interesting to me. And it's the end of the chapter where Paul says, in fact, I'll read a little bit to you. He said, verse 9, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now that little phrase there, it means he written another letter that we don't have. Or maybe it's rolled into part of Second Corinthians, some scholars believe. I've written to you a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Uh, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy, or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, we'd have to leave the world. So when he's talking about discipline of people, he's not talking about people in the world. We're supposed to... Jesus ate with public and sinners. Jesus ate with prostitutes. Jesus was with those people. We're talking about two different things. We're talking about a world of people who do not know Jesus, do not walk with Jesus. And Paul said, I'm not telling you not to associate with those people. Those are the people in the world. I'm talking about people in the church that have accepted Jesus and made Jesus the Lord of their life, and they choose to blatantly live in sin. And then he goes on to say, what business is mine to judge the world? What business is is it of mine to judge the world? We get all upset about what's happening out there. We get all upset about what we see on the news. We get all upset about everything happening in the world. Let me tell you something. Expect the world to act like the world. Expect a world under the domination of sin to be filled with sin. Why are we so surprised? We're all... The focus of the evangelical church is out there trying to get them reformed, and they don't even know Jesus. Paul said, what business is of mine to judge the world? My business is to monitor the church. We are to monitor ourselves and not to monitor the world. It's not our goal. Our primary mission is not to monitor what happens out there, but to live Christ-filled, God-filled lives and lives that are so filled with Jesus that people in the world come into the church and receive Christ because there are two different rules for what happens in here and what happens out there. So I think that's really interesting because what I see happening is we're like, we're, I just cannot believe what those people are doing out there. I cannot believe it. Paul said, you know, if you, if you want, not going to associate with immoral people in the world, you have to lead the world because they're everywhere. How many have some immoral people where you work? Just raise your hand. How many have some immoral people in your neighborhood? How many people have some immoral people in your HOA? How many have some, just some, you know, they're putting pretty much all of them, aren't they? You know? Say this to me. There's a difference between the people in the world and the people in the church. That's a whole different sermon, and that is something you have to chew on because I think, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because I'm already in trouble, I'm going to just say a little bit more. I think we have just lost our focus trying to monitor everything out there. and we're just. If you, if you buy a new puppy and the puppy messes up the floor, How many, you don't shoot the puppy because you know it's a puppy. How many expect a puppy to mess up on the carpet? It's going to happen. Expect the world to be the world. Say it with me. Expect the world to be the world. So it's interesting read that. So let me close with uh, my favorite verse about church discipline. It's my favorite verse about church discipline and it's in Galatians. Galatians, Galatians, Chapter six, this is my very favorite verse about church disciplines. Galatians six, verse one and two. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Whenever you you confront a brother or sister that's gone astray in the faith, whenever a church does it, we must do it on our knees because we are all prone to sin and we need God's grace to help us. Now, did the church of Corinth correct this man? I think they did. 2 Corinthians says this, Second Corinthians. This is after 1 Corinthians. And here's what Paul said about somebody they corrected. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to affirm your love for him. So it seems like that they... Confronted the man, they disciplined the man, the man repented, and they embraced him with love. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story a bunch of times, bunch of times. If you're new, this is new to you, but I've told this story a bunch of times, and you'll hear it again. One day I was, uh, I was down to the Salisbury Hospital, Peninsula Regional Hospital, and I was visiting somebody, and uh, I went up on what floor I was on, I visited somebody, and it was in springtime had a great pastoral visit and I came out of uh, the hospital and walking down the sidewalk and I looked up there and there was a window cleaner up on a little pillow pulleys and he was sitting on a little bench and he was all the way up on the fifth floor, the top of the hospital and he was cleaning the windows and man, I looked up there and it was a, you know, five stories, the hospital, you know, for me from Gumber, that's an urban experience. So I was up there, I was looking at that and I was just, you know, looking at that guy clean. It was just, he was just swinging back and forth and, uh, on, that, on that seat, on those pulleys. And he was cleaning the window. And this guy came up beside me and said, man, I'm scared of heights. I could never do that. And I'm sitting there talking to him. And then I had a thought. I thought, what if that man fell? What if that man fell? What better place to fall than in front of a hospital? What better place to fall than in front of a hospital? We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Some of you, listen to me today. The enemy's been beating you up, and I want to tell you that you're forgiven. You've repented of your sin. You confessed your sin. Maybe you need to confess it to someone, and maybe you need to get some counsel for that negative pattern in your life. But let me tell you something. God is a God that is quick to forgive us when we sin. He's gracious and loving and he's kind. Would you lift your hands to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now? We're in a wonderful church, the church of Jesus that's under the lordship of Jesus. We're we're being changed by the Holy Spirit, but we are people that we've decided to obey the Holy Spirit. We've decided to obey the word of the Lord. We've decided to live in a way that honors Christ. So, Father God, as I pray over this wonderful church, we pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you, that's not a Christian. We thank you that you brought them here today, that they can confess their sins, invite you in their heart right now. And Lord, you and your mercy, as the Holy Spirit moves on them, you'll open their hearts and they can receive you. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are growing in their faith. Let them walk in the confidence of the Lord. And let our church be a church. Let our church be a church that takes your word seriously and that we live according to your word because we know as we live according to your word, we enter into the kind of abundant life that you want us to have. So we thank you for your love and your mercy. And with your hands raised, just say this to me, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life today. I give myself fully to you. And say this, may the power of the Holy Spirit fill me this week with grace and strength. Now, would you quote the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank
0: you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.